Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Cotton Club crew. We are back after a pretty exciting weekend. If you have not already, first things first, go and listen to the Shriner Classic recap. That was Jack and Joe. The baseball, of course, is in full swing. They had two games in Arlington after that up against Texas Arlington and against highly rated top five, in my opinion, but number seven actual rated Oregon State. Um, you can probably catch an episode about that, but if not, just be looking out for more baseball content in the future. But first things first, go listen to that classic recap and figure out how the first big weekend, three great opponents they were up against, uh, went for the Red Raiders. But they, they were not the only sport in swing, and this recap is going to be focusing on the Iowa State and TCU games. We will touch on the rematch with UCF, but considering it's a repeat opponent and one that I think we now understand pretty well at this point in the year where they fall in the hierarchy. We'll spend a lot of our time talking about the matchups we saw against the, the Cyclones and TCU, and the lessons learned from both of those games. Uh, basketball has an interesting back half of the schedule. I, would, I think it's fair to say you have a much weaker back half of the schedule than you did the front half, um, considering you still have UCF, Oklahoma State, and West Virginia to play. But one of the best teams, not just in the Big 12, but in the nation, the Iowa State Cyclones were on up first on Saturday. And that in Hilton, without Warren Washington, is a hell of a battle, and it showed. Joe, Red Raiders were trolling 14 points at half, I believe, was this margin. Um, it didn't look good. They weren't making shots. No, Obviously, about Washington, the rebounding was an issue. They weren't getting a friendly whistle by any stretch, and Iowa State, very, very good. Took advantage of a lot of Red Raider turnovers as well, and this one just felt like a blowout early. Joe, you're watching that game, gets to halftime. Uh, well, what are your thoughts after that tough opening half in Hilton? From what I saw, I was, I'm not going to say I watched the entire game because I didn't. I was stuck at work, so so take this with a grain of salt from what I was able to gather from the first half and what I was able to watch in the first half. There was a lot of just turn the, on the turnover side. There was a lot of us shooting ourselves in the foot, bad passes, not handling the ball well. You know, things as far as the fundamentals of the basketball game go, we just didn't execute. Execution and our fundamentals just went out out the window. Um, Ill advised passing, forced passing, not taking care of the ball, not having Warren Washington there is very very big. And I'm not going to say that that's not another reason why this game was very difficult but i mean even with him going into hilton is a very very tough ask for any opponent so but from what i saw in the first half it went it everything was just about went wrong that could go wrong you shot i believe it was one for ten 
um, beyond the arc in the first half, seven for 21, nine for nine for 12 at the free throw line. But it was just all of those those turnovers that came back to haunt you there. You're down 38, 24 at the half. A very, very tough ask for any team to come back from on that kind of deficit in that kind of arena. And it came, like I said, it just came back and bit, bit you in the ass there at the end. And it, some of that stuff kind of got cleaned up in the second half, which we can touch on. We did also score 50 points in the second half, which is very, very good for this Texas Tech offense who was without Warren Washington to do that against a top-rated defense. But as far as the first half is concerned, just a lot of shooting yourselves in the foot and not being able to get yourself in a position um, to stop them offense or to stop them, stop them on when they had the ball and vice versa, the offensive rebounds granted on the game, it was 35, 34, but it seemed like way worse. Um, Robert Jones was able to get pretty much anything he wanted down below. And without our big guy, it's, it's very tough to stay competitive in some of these games. Yeah, about Warren Washington, you know that you're you're absolutely going to have issues uh, rebounding the ball. You're going to have issues with interior defense. And you know, overall, you're going to struggle a bit more in any game he doesn't play in. Um, since the loss to Cambridge, that's just been your reality. Uh, the rare appearance from Tyrion Lindsay in this game. Uh, I, I, I want to say this now because we've talked about it almost every time this comes up. I don't know what the fuck the staff's doing with this kid. Um, look, like I'm not saying he's ready to be a regular rotation player, but I, I don't really get how they're using him, why they're burning his red shirt in these moments. And you know, I, I just don't understand it. And that, that's, that is my biggest and only gripe about how McCaslin has coached all year is like this player management seems bizarre to me. Um, and it, it, it flared up a couple of weeks ago when he put out an Instagram, uh, uh, I think it was a story post with him standing on his tech jersey. I don't know if he realized how that looked. Honestly, he tried to backpedal and said it didn't look what people thought that it looked like. I think that was a moment of frustration that got the better of him. But overall, I haven't understood his usage. However, in this game, and why I really don't understand his usage, is you only played seven players in this game, um, any serious minutes. In fact, I think only seven players played overall, as uh, uh, we did not see um, Warren Washington in this game. So when your rotation is seven players, you know, I don't really understand how, like, we're arguing that, like, on a good day we can't see Lindsey more. Just because, like, I mean, you're sixth, and this one is Robert Jennings, who's playing a bit better basketball lately, but we've all been well aware of some of his limitations offensively. So I don't really understand it. Um, in that first half, it was pretty ugly. I mean, let's make no mistake, you're not shooting the ball at all. Like you mentioned, one for ten from beyond the arc. Um, you're, you turn the ball over to high clip. Iowa State, you look flummoxed. Iowa State is very good on both sides of the ball. They completely took Tech out of this game. And um, it's hard to get back into it without a steadying post to, to really do work underneath the rim. So after halftime, it, it's a sense of, just what are you going to do? Are you going to fight or roll over? And to be honest, through about 15 minutes in this game, Iowa State continued to push their lead. They, they got close to 20-point leads a couple of times. Uh, the Red Raiders in the last final minutes of the game really turned on the Jets and tried to get back into it. They'd actually outscore the Cyclones, as you mentioned, with 55 points to Iowa State's uh, uh, 48. And um, I just uh, – I, I, or excuse me, 44. I just, I just want to be clear here. I was proud of that fight. But the too little, too late of it all, I think, sours it. A lot of those points came in garbage time. A lot of those points came in uh, uh, a moment where you can basically argue Iowa State had taken their feet foot off the gas. 
Um, it was great to push them at all towards the end. I love the fight from this team overall. But let me highlight a couple of things, and I want to get your thoughts here, Joe. The biggest problem Texas Tech has right now is probably Pop Isaacs, and that, that feels a little harsh to center on one guy. But he's shooting at a low clip. He shoots a lot. He's not a particularly plus distributor. He never has been in his entire career. He's been a good, not great distributor of the ball. He's killing you out there right now, my man. And I, I just don't really know how else to say it. He killed you in this game. He was a abysmal two for 11. Um, he would add, of those, seven were missed threes. He takes bad looks. He's, and he shoots at such a high clip, as Tech expects of him. When he has nights like this, it's just a huge problem. And he is in the middle of a hell of a slump um, that was culminated in this game. Joe, let's talk about Pop real quick. It's going to be a theme that shows up more in the TCU game a bit as well. But this was kind of, I mean, of all the, 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 the bad shooting from Pop Isaacs, and this year has not necessarily been kind to him for stretches, this was a, a really, really bad moment in his, his, his season. What, what goes through your head seeing your probably, and I don't know if this is arguable, but I will say arguably your most important scoring weapon to be stuck so badly in the mud? It's tough. Um, it's just take it for having an engine firing on five cylinders instead of six or seven instead of eight or 11 instead of 12. You're just missing something. You're missing that extra go. And we all know what it's like whenever he's on what it's what this team can be, because now you're having to account for how he's shooting, getting to the getting to the rim, distributing, finishing himself. On the block or him taking three-point looks that are just falling. He's a terrifying player when he's on, and it makes this team that much more scarier moving forward when you have him on his at least B game plus in these games. And I think he's just in a slump. I don't think it's anything more to put into it. It It's just rough. I, I, I sat there and watched sometimes in that particular game where he – got the switch off and a big man was on him and he was reluctant to go to the, to the hole. And he, you know, settled for a three point shot just off of a step back. And those are the times where I think he doesn't utilize his true strengths and his, and I'm not going to say he's scared because I don't think pop Isaacs is scared of anything to be perfectly honest, but I just do think that he settles a lot for some of these jump shots when he has these mismatches, on the switch when he has a bigger guy on him and you could see it in multiple games. It's not just this particular game. I mean, it happens often, but sometimes when you're hitting those shots, you forgive them. But once those shots aren't going down, you're like, okay, if this isn't working, let's try something else. Let's try to get a foul. Let's try to get to the, to the free throw line to, you know, help this team not waste a possession because some of those deals you start cutting into some of these leads and you make a, a three pointer and then you're right back in it, but you go and you have two, three crappy possessions in a row where you'd make some of these mistakes. If they come back and tear you up and for this team, I mean, for pop Isaacs to, to do some of these things and be in this low sucks for the team as a whole. I don't think it brings down morale or anything like that, but I just think that, He's in a slump. He'll get out of it. But the last few games have been very, very difficult to watch for him play offense. Yeah, I mean, he, it's 
it's something we've kind of highlighted about Pop Isaac's games. He's at his best when his shot is coming down, like a lot of shooters are, when he's getting, when he's in that rhythm, when he has, you know, a little bit of a, of a fire under him where he feels like he can't miss. But the problem with that kind of mentality, that shooter's mentality, is he does limit himself to some bad looks. Um, I think part of that is a, another common problem with Pop's game. And really, a lot of cards game. It's not just Pop. I, I, I other than Joe Tussaud and and really, at this point, Williams. There isn't really a great attacking guard on this roster. They he struggles with the first step to beat somebody off. It's why I think he struggles. He beats he beats himself in these mismatches because he knows that like his first step's not that strong. He doesn't have explosive breakaway speed. He's not the kind of guy who's just going to take you to the rim. Um, he beats you off the ball, and he beats you with his mov- movement, and he beats you by making tough looks in your face. But he isn't necessarily the kind of guy who can just take you to the hoop all the time. He has some moves. He's got some looks. And I think when he's played his best games, you've seen more of that. I think when he's played his best, he's trusted those looks. He's trusted his feet. He's trusted his vision. And he's gotten downhill, distributed the ball out of it when teams are rotating, and made some tough looks at the rim. When he's played his worst games, he settles. And he settles way too often. And it's hurting you right now. And he's in the middle of a slump um, that it is quite backbreaking to see. Look, I would like to say that, you know, the fight of this game was inspiring enough to maybe give Kerry some momentum. But to be honest, again, I just, you lost by eight. Iowa State took their foot off the gas, but never let you actually think you were going to get back into it. Um, I, I was proud of the team didn't roll over, but Iowa State beat your, beat your broke. Beat your, uh, beat your brains in a bit here. I mean, they were just better than you on this night. They're one of the best teams in the Big 12, one of the best teams in the nation. Uh, I've seen some hype for them in the national title. I don't know if I'm there yet, but they will certainly be in the thick of things, I think, in both the conference race and March Madness once we get there. They are that good, and they just they just pantsed you a bit. And I'm, I'm proud that the team didn't just pack up and go home at the end. But there's not a lot of positives of this game. You shot the ball badly, you didn't defend well, and you turned the ball over a bunch. That's so kind of a, a trifecta of bad, which brings up a critical matchup against TCU, a matchup I think you kind of feel like you had to get the win to get right. Um, and also add an, a, a, another win to your resume of a higher-rated team. TCU is a very good squad. Why well, I hate Jamie Dixon, everything he stands for. Um, the Horned Frogs are a good basketball team, and they will, I, I think it's fair to say, will be in March Madness as well. Um, I, I don't imagine they miss the tournament as long as they don't stumble here down the stretch. Uh, but th- this is another tournament team, life in the Big 12. They came to the, your house in, in Fort Worth. It was a tough loss to the, the, the Horned Frogs. Now you got them on the return without Warren Washington once again. And once again, the rebounding is obviously a critical part of this game that allowed TCU to, to keep this to be so competitive. And this was tight from the jump. It was tied at half, and you won by 8.82-81. Uh, it, it doesn't get much tighter than this. And, you know, if, and I think this is where you can kind of see some of what this team really has to get better at. And this is Pop Isaac is 0 for 5 from 3. It still had 19 points in this game. The shooting was not really there. He had to go find other ways to score. Um, Williams continues to be a great uh, spark to this team with 14 points on 5 of 12 shooting. Joe Toussaint had a good game, 14 points on 4 of 10 shooting. Um, we saw Lindsey once again and again. I don't really understand how the staff's used him to date, but I'm glad he's finally getting some minutes. He saw his, I think this is the most minutes he's played with 23. I mean, at 8.7 rebounds and an assist. 
Lamar Washington's really fallen by the wayside, um, but the combination of injuries and just his real lack of performance, I think, has kind of moved him off the basically permanently onto the bench as, as nothing more than a spot minute guy. Uh, but, you know, overall, this was a good, well-rounded team win without Warren Washington. You're going to struggle to rebound without him. You struggle with him rebounding the ball, so no shocker there. But, Joe, let's talk about who's your player of the game. This is a tight one start to finish. Who impressed you the most in pulling out this win? You were there. The crowd was, I'm sure, electric. Who who were you find yourself cheering for the most? It's really, really difficult for me because everybody had their moments and everybody contributed in a different way. Some on the point side of it, some on the rebounding side of it, some on the defensive side of it. But I'm going to go and say my player of the game personally, because I would, this is a humble brag here, everybody that I was sitting about two rows behind the Texas Tech bench. So I was able to see these interactions between the coaches and players and, and, and everything that was going on there. I was just that close, but I'm going to give it to Kai Lindsay because he has taken a lot of flack. Some of it, like you said, with that, that Instagram post itself, maybe he thought it wasn't, you know, that's not what he was meaning, but it was enough backlash for him to take it down. But he has taken a lot of flack for being immature, not being ready to be in these games. And by virtue of an injury, it forced McCaslin's hand to play him. He's a good player. Let's not get that twisted. He's a he's a damn good player. Once he gets on the court, he's a damn good player. He just hasn't put it all together there, as you know, you would see in an upperclassman. He's still a very young kid. He could be very immature at times, but he's a like I said, he's a damn good basketball player. And I'm giving him the player of the game for many reasons. Obviously, the seven rebounds off the bench, the coming in. When his number was called, there was a couple of times where he got bullied down low. If And if you watch the game, these are just the facts. He got bullied down low. Mustafa, I believe is his name, or Mustafa Coles, those bigger bodied guys, um, you know, were going to work down there. I mean, they had 10 and 10, I believe, between uh, Mustafa and Coles. Yeah, both of them had 10 points. So that's 20 points from their bigs and those guys are 6 11 6 10 and Kyron Lindsay sits at 6 7 and he seemed a little discouraged at the start he was making a couple mental errors and I saw him in a him and coach McCaslin have a moment there while Kai made a a bad defensive play and Kai and coach McCaslin made eye contact and and coach McCaslin pushed on his temples like pointed at his temples like you know get there mentally and i think kai took that as he knew he was better than that and he progressively and progressively got better he was up in the air fighting for some boards he was on the ground he was when the ball was off of the rim off of a miss he was up there fighting his tail off when those guys were trying to back him down he was there he wasn't he wasn't, you know, trying to always get the block. He goes straight up, made the tough look. It, it Just to watch him evolve from where he was at at the start of the year, which wasn't much. So, the, I mean, 
the playing time, the sample size is very, very small. But over the last few games where he's been called upon, if you haven't seen the growth in this young man, you need to go back and watch the tape. He's like I said, he's a hell of a player. He's a hell of a kid, still a little young, still a little raw on the edges. But there's very, very big time flashes of potential there that you can't ignore. So I'm giving it to Kai Lindsay, well-deserved. And like I said, he got he got the crowd just as in tune or just as involved in this game as some of the other players that were on this basketball team. Yeah, I was really impressed with his play. And to see it come from a guy who does not have a ton of minutes under his belt in a really critical game. You know, you can't lose many Big 12 home games and expect to have a good time. Um, Tech has already lost a couple, I think, that they would love back, especially that Cincinnati game. Um, you know, and to, to get this one done without Warren Washington with a nice, loud crowd and a midweek game and just – you know, you just got beat pretty handily in Ames. You just needed you needed to show something here, I think, at home and get people back motivated and show your team that, like, hey, well, you know, like, no matter what happens when we go on the road, this is our house and we're not going to drop this game, so credit to him. But I'd love to shout out Joe Toussaint on this one. Look, I've been critical of Toussaint's game at times, and he had stretches this year where he was, you know, I, I think fair to say a little bit etching towards bench territory. Um, and he has seven assists in this game on 14 points. And I want to highlight those seven assists. That's critical. And a, and a team that was not in, still in this game did not shoot the ball, like, fantastically. Um, it was a game that you had to get a lot of fine buckets where you could get them. Um, it's a tough Big 12 contest. You know, Pop didn't make any three-pointers in this game. He's the guy you lean on for a lot of your three-point shooting. So you're going to need assisted baskets. You're going to need some points in the inside. And Joe Toussaint was kind of the guy. He did a great job distributing. I feel like at times he's played a little out of control and that's hurt him in a couple of big moments. It did not hurt him on this night. Um, he was great in this game. And I just want to shout that out. Anytime you got a guy putting up nearly 10 assists, I want to give a shout out to that, especially your starting guard, because guard play for this team is everything. They don't have any any post play, especially when Warren's out. Um, and they just they were leaning on a, a group of uh, very inexperienced guards. And Joe Tassan is a big part of what makes that offense go. When he plays like that, when the ball's coming out of his hands, he's distributing well. Uh, you know, it means everything. Now, Jamie Dixon, pretty mad in this game about the officiating. I didn't, you know, I'm, I can't really speak as a, as a non-biased member of, <laughs> of the press here when I talk about the officiating this one. We've seen plenty of bad officiating, but I did want to get your two cents on it because the head ball coach over at TCU, one of my least favorite coaches in the profession, was very upset in the post-game press conference about what he perceived as the home whistle. Joe, you were there. Um, you know, obviously neither one of us is non-biased, but what were your thoughts on the officials tonight or that night? Big 12 officiating in general. Let's just call it for what it is. It's been um, subpar for this league. You argue, you know, there's no argue, arguing in this statement. The Big 12 conference is the best conference in college basketball, hands down. And for you to have such subpar officiating for all these big time games and games that are very critical on whether some teams are going to have a postseason or not, something has to get fixed there. And and that's not siding with Jamie and that's not siding with Coach McCaslin because there was a time there, I don't remember exactly what play it was. It was a play in the second half. Pop went to the lane and I think he got kind of nudged from the back 
It wasn't the elbow that he got in the face because he still got that call. But there was another play that co- that Pop was driving and something happened when Pop threw up the shot. And Coach McCaslin was I, – I thought he was on the verge of getting his first technical and maybe potentially even more because I've had plenty of conversations and I've watched plenty of games with Coach McCaslin. And that's the reddest in the face that I've ever seen him. And I was almost for certain that he was about to get his first technical and or his first toss out of the game because he was fired up. Um, and as far as Jamie Dixon is concerned, I mean, he's the the Kim Mulkey of men's college basketball, always on the court, always yelling, yapping about something. He's just that's who he is. Some of them, I think he may have had a legitimate beef with that I could potentially almost agree with. I do think, and I know it doesn't mean shit now, but I do think that Pop may have traveled there at the very end and why Jamie Dixon didn't challenge that or have them go look at it is beyond me. But big picture is the Big 12 officiating is terrible. I mean, everybody suffers. I'm sure that we got screwed over on some calls in Fort Worth. They got screwed over on some calls in in Lubbock. I mean, it happens in the entire conference. It's not just this one particular game. I'm sure he's probably going to get fined for the comments that he made this afternoon. Regard, I mean, last night regarding that. So we'll just see what happens as far as if you're looking long term for the Big 12 conference and they're officiating if there will be any major changes. Um, made but like i said i mean both coaches had gripes on both sides that were very legitimate it's just bad big 12 officiating all around yeah i mean we've talked about this before that the officiating for the quality of this league is especially impossibly difficult to 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 be this bad i mean like i mean that in the sense that like how on earth can the league that is universally recognized year in and year out as number one or two in the nation have officiating this inconsistently bad. And it'd be one thing if it, if I've talked about this before, I think I've talked about it on the show, I've talked about it with other people. It's one thing if the officiating is just bad because like, okay, they're missing us a couple of judgment calls here or there. There's no feel to what's going to happen night in, night out. They have no control over either team. You know, coaches are getting technicals tossed left and right. Grant McCaslin picked one up in Iowa State, actually. You know, these are guys who are titans in their profession, right? Like, this is the top league in the nation. This is the best cast of coaches, almost top to bottom, with a couple of notable exceptions. But, you know, like, these guys are – they're not going to continue to stomach how bad it is. Look, officiating is a difficult thing. I've talked about this as well. It's the kind of thing that, like, the reason why the profession struggles as much as it does is because of the fact that it's so hard and we beat up on officials starting so young in, like, everyone's careers. There are middle school officials who will never ref another game after a parent yells at them, right? Like, this is the thing that is a massive problem in this nation, breeding the next group of officials, is that the breeding grounds, your elementary school, your middle school, your high school, were horrible to these people so young that they never, they never worked their way to the higher levels of competition. Um, and on top of that, the money's not great for what they have to put up with. So I, all that I understand, but this is just a fundamental 
problem with the officials we have being unprepared, unable to make good calls, unable to know the rules, not sure what's going on, can't manage the clock, can't manage the coaches, can't manage the teams. It's just fucking awful. And I knew Jamie Dixon was going to whine about it because he's a whiny fuck. But at the same time, he probably has legitimate grievances with a lot of calls, including that Pop Isaac's potential travel. Alternatively, in Fort Worth, I felt like there were tons of calls that didn't go the right way. In Hilton, I thought there were tons of calls that didn't go the right way. It's just life in the Big 12. You go on the road, you're screwed. And that cannot be how it works. It's hard enough to win in basketball without the officials basically agreeing that the home team's infallible. So I, I, I think that we've reached a tipping point with this overall. But other leagues, as bad as people think other league officials are, no one is as bad as this league's. And that's really, really tricky when you consider the quality of basketball being played, being hurt by the low-level officiating. Um, just a tough overall. And, and, and look, like this is one of the things. Like Jamie Dixon's going to be the kind of guy who whines about it, but they, it's not just him. Scott Drew, McCaslin, Self, uh, Samson. Um, I think Boyton's even had moments. Like Everybody's pissed. So we're reaching a tipping point with this. Now, final thoughts on this game, Joe. I want to get your sense. we got one coming up against UCF. The team is right on the precipice. Basically, in my opinion, I think looking at your remaining schedule, looking at your current record, you need one, maybe two wins to be basically a lock for the NCAA tournament. Uh, I don't want to feel great about a 20-win team getting in. I think 21 is a done deal. The, the, your strength of record, um, or I guess net is what it's technically known as, um, is going to be too high as long as you don't drop to Oklahoma State or West Virginia. So presuming you win one or two more games, you feel pretty great about it, but look, this is the league. You can never take a night off. What are your final thoughts about this game as it speaks to the rest of the season? Then we'll go ahead and talk briefly about the UCF matchup. When the schedule originally came out, it was very, very favorable in Tech's regard on the back end and not having to travel to Allen Fieldhouse, not having to travel to – here, there, everywhere in the Big 12, you know, the Marriott Center or off, you know, all these different places in the Big 12, you know, it, it was just a favorable, a very, very favorable schedule on the back end. Obviously, back then, we didn't know exactly how these teams were going to play out. We didn't know what we had in our team. We didn't know, you know, we were still kind of up in the air on what this season was going to become. And as it's progressed along, you know, the hierarchy in the Big 12, where those teams stand, and then you have the bottom feeders, which with no disrespect to any of those teams, West Virginia, Oklahoma State, UCF, those three teams there on the bottom of the Big 12, on any given Saturday or Tuesday, these guys are winning. You know, Central Florida beat Kansas at home. Given, I know Kansas is woes on the road, but it's just a very, very tough league to win on the road in. I don't. I would say Tech needs two more wins to be uh, a straight lock. We get Baylor and Texas here in Lubbock, um, and then we have the three games on the road, West Virginia, Cincinnati, and I'm sorry, West Virginia, Oklahoma State, and UCF. And I think those are favorable matchups, all that you could win. I think we'll get worn back at some point in time in the next two weeks is what I'm, my gut feeling is telling me. And it's good. I would rather have him fresh and at 100% then, hey, we need a win, and we're going to put you in at 80%. I think this, the way that this coaching staff and this training staff has handled the Warren Washington issue, they have bigger bigger goals and dreams 
on the in the postseason side than they do actually right now because they do think they're able to compete in the Big 12. And with having a favorable schedule, it's a little bit easier for you to sit a Warren Washington whenever you think you have on paper enough to beat the opposing team. So I think it's going to play out very nicely for Tech. Obviously, that's easier said than done in the Big 12. But if they do what they're supposed to do, play their game, they'll be competitive in the remaining five, potentially winning at least four of them if everything, if all the chips fall the Red Raiders' way. Yeah, I mean, the schedule is – this is the easiest stretch of the year by far. Um, and that's easy as relative because of this conference – you know, you got to go to UCF. They've already shown they can knock teams off. You got to go to Cincinnati. Um, you already lost to them. You have to go um, play Baylor again and Texas. Fortunately, you get those two at home. If you don't get Warren Washington back, all of these games become ones that become a lot more up for grabs. If he can get back in the next couple of weeks, you feel a lot better about this. Like I said, I think you're two games away from being a lock in the tournament. Win one and don't lose to the wrong teams. Um, well, really, here's the reality. If you win the three games, you absolutely have no excuses to lose, no matter the circumstance. UCF, West Virginia, and Oklahoma State, um, you're in the tournament. I mean, there's just no chance that a 22-win Big 12 team is left out, um, and there's no chance that even losing to Texas and Baylor matters at that point. But look, you know, I, I like to think of things in the slim margins in basketball because it's tough to get on these win streaks. It's tough to win a bunch of games. You're going to maybe drop a game here that you shouldn't, so I think, you know, as long as you take care of business against the teams you're supposed to, though, and I saw enough against TCU to, to, to demonstrate that even without Warren Washington, the teams that you should beat, you can beat. Um, now, can you beat Texas and Baylor without Warren Washington? Nah, I don't know. I mean, Texas is really struggling this year compared to their expectation. But Baylor is going to be a tough matchup. Um, it's, it's all going to come down to Washington's health. But overall, I was, in the, I was heartened by both Lindsey getting more playing time and looking good in it. I was heartened by the guards playing great overall, distributing the ball, finding ways to score when their shots, when their long ball wasn't following, and especially in the case of Pop Isaacs, who's really struggling from deep. Um, you know, I think it's, it's, it's the kind of performance that makes you feel good about a rematch of UCF, um, a team that, you know, Pushed you a bit. I mean, let's, let's be clear here. UCF was – we. I think we all thought UCF might be a little bit more comfortable, and they just hung around, hung around, hung around, and hung around in that game. And there were some sketchy moments in that matchup. Now you got to go to their house where they already have the win over Kansas, of course. Joe, let's start there. Uh, how are you feeling about heading to UCF for the first time? I just want to touch on one last thing about this TCU game, just something that, that the, the person – where the the fans that watched this game on TV didn't have the privilege of seeing. We had a lot of fan turnouts of big names in attendance. Adonis Arms, Kevin O'Banner, Todrick Gocher, and sled football players, Micah Hudson, Caleb Rogers, Jacob Rodriguez. All these guys were there. And Adonis Arms addressed the right in front of Raider Riot. He got the Raider power chant started with about three minutes and 55 seconds to go in the game. Tech is down by nine at this point in time. And the energy off of that one guy, the Red Raider for life, even though he was only with us for one year, the energy in the United Supermarkets Arena got turned up a notch. 
And that's whenever we started playing the basketball that we're capable of playing and then finally catching up and then being able, <coughs> excuse me, being able to close it out. So I just want to give big thanks to all those guys who still come back to Lubbock, even though that they've gone on and are trying to do something professionally with their, their careers. But it was huge to have those guys there and have the energy brought up in the arena whenever these guys were shown on camera. It was great. So having said that, going into the Central Florida game itself, it's a ruckus crowd over there. We saw what, what kind of crowd turned out whenever Kansas Kansas went down there to play. Obviously, we are not the caliber team that Kansas is, but we are a top 25 ranked team. And they're looking to they're looking to knock off another top 25 team at home. What do we need to do? It's pretty plain and simple. The Warren Washington situation, we still will just it's it's a toss-up of a 50-50 right now. So it's just calling on some more guys. Kyron Lindsay, Robert Jennings coming off the bench, Chance McMillan coming off the bench. These guys, well, maybe not Robert Jennings. He may actually get the start, or Kai may have earned himself a start. You know, we'll just see what what happens with Warren's health as the week progresses here. But it's it's simple: the fundamentals, the rebounding. You don't don't hurt yourself on the road. You know, these games are tough to win on the road anywhere. So just do all the do all the the easy things right, and and you'll be all, <coughs> excuse me, and you'll be all right. I do believe that without Warren Washington, this this team is capable of beating UCF straight up, but it'll be tough just because Warren Washington is just that big of a piece for this this team. So it's just it's just about playing your game, playing your game, do what you're supposed to do, go out and win this game. Don't get caught looking towards Tuesday with the meetup with the Longhorns coming into town. Just go out there, take care of business, and come back home and be ready for another ruckus crowd in Lubbock. Yeah, I'll keep this pretty brief just because we've already seen UCF. And to be frank, UCF lost the last four games. And really, I think they had a surprisingly successful start to Big 12 play. Not great, but they were in the, they were in a lot of games. And they still have been, but to, the last four losses, I think, really took the wins out of their sails as a being an opportunity for kind of a scrappy team fighting up the ratings. Um, it ha- it's not that their schedule has been easy by any stretch, but they've dropped it to West Virginia in their last outing. That's a really, really tough loss. It's just a really tough loss. Um, they're going to be pretty deflated, but they're going to be looking, they're going to be hungry for a big win. I imagine the crowd will still be good. This being their introduction to the big 12 first time seeing tech at home. Um, but it could also not be that great considering how the years really turned on them. You know, we'll see overall tech has to, Obviously, be careful with any Big 12 game, but this is one, if you play your game, you'll win. And it's that simple. We could break this down any number of levels, but it's that simple. You play well, you shoot the ball well, um, and you protect your possessions. Don't turn it over. Just play smart. You don't even have to be on fire from the field. You just have to be confident and comfortable in your offense and in what you're doing, and I think they'll get it done. I'd love to see Pop Isaacs make a three. I think he's... I believe either one for the last 12 or O for the last 12 from beyond the arc. So we really need him to find his touch in a big way. If he's going to continue to shoot those shots. Um, I'd love to see more, uh, more assists from Joe Toussaint. Um, you know, seven assists game is great. Let's build out that. Let's get to a, a you know, a dirty old a double, double with, um, with, uh, 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 points and assists, 
you know, let's we'll have some fun in this game. Let's really flex what we can do and learn some more things about the squad in a game that they should be able to comfortably win. Let's see some more from Lindsay. Let's see Williams continue to thrive. Let's get McMillan back going. Um, let's get Pop with the streak going. Let's find Robert Jennings some offense. I mean, that's, let's, let's find him some offense and get him involved. And um, hopefully that the we, we're talking about a big win. I think it goes without saying that both Joe and I expect the Red Raiders to win this game. Um, so I'm not going to do our normal prediction just because it, if we can't win this game, I think both of us will be pretty depressed. However, as we come to the end of the show, I want to throw it back to Joe one last time. Any final thoughts at this point? Obviously, a lot of basketball still to play. we got some baseball content hopefully coming for you guys in the coming weeks as their season ramps up. Any final thoughts from the last few days of Red Raider sports? Get ready. I mean, we're clearly on the path to the postseason in basketball, and we are just getting warmed up with the baseball season. So get ready for some some heavy, heavy sports action. It's a great time to be a Red Raider. There's a lot of things that are going on. The the going back to the Super Bowl win for Patrick Mahomes, his his third Super Bowl title. Um, Ludwig handling himself in the golf course. Mac McClung being the back to back um, slam dunk champion over All Star Weekend. I mean, there's a lot of things going on for the Red Raiders, and it looks like currently I'm I was browsing to see how the women's basketball team was doing, and they're. They're hanging around with a top 10 team on the road. I don't know exactly how that's going to turn out, but I need, I think Krista Gerlich needs this game very, very bad if she wants to retain her position as the head women's basketball coach. So hopefully those ladies are able to, to get that W down in Austin. That'd just be bitter, bittersweet for them to do so. But other than that, man, I I'm just excited for this season how basketball's going and and then us turning up the notch on on baseball and this season and some of the players that we have and some of the new faces everything about it it's it's just a great time to be a red raider if you have a chance to go out there and and support these guys if you're here in the Lubbock area or if you happen to be somewhere where the red raiders are playing go out and support them go out and support our lady raiders too so everything Texas Tech, if you have a chance to go see them, go out and support them. I know they love seeing you there in person. It goes it goes leaps and bounds on how it makes a player feel. So um, all I got to say is it's a great time to be a Red Raider, and we can't wait to see what happens in the next coming weeks. Yeah, I, I think it, it goes without saying that March Madness is the most exciting um sporting event ever the only rival to it i think is if you're a big soccer guy the world cup's a lot of fun um the the format for it the excitement of it the randomness of it it's just an incredible american sporting event and it's a lot of fun and tech is going i mean knock on all the wood when i say this but as long as everything goes to somewhat plan you'll be there this year and not sitting at home which puts you ahead of schedule i think that's my big thought is that you're going to be ahead of schedule in year one under McCaslin. This was not a team I think a lot of people thought would be this competitive this fast. I sure didn't. Um, I thought, especially after Cambridge went down, that you were really, really going to struggle to get anything going this season. And they've just been able to scrap and fight and claw and shoot their way out of some bad situations. And they're right in the thick uh, of the you know postseason expectation now is high and and. Really, they're, they've even stuck around in the Big 12 hierarchy enough to, I don't know, I haven't looked at what has to happen for them to get back into that race, obviously winning out and just pray at this point. 
But the point being is they, they're not where we all thought they might end up, which was lower towards the bottom, maybe fighting for their lives late in the season. Um, instead, you know, you can comfortably win. You should comfortably win a few of the next five and just feel good going into March and have a great time in the tournament. I mean, you're not going to go in as any heavy favor by any means, but anything can happen once you're in the dance. So great year overall for Tech so far. They have to finish strong against uh, uh, some lower-tier competition, lower-tier relative to the Big 12, and get you know keep the party going, um, which is fun. I mean, it sucked when Tech didn't make it the previous year. It sucks whenever any Tech team misses out on the postseason, but it really hurts for basketball because the event's so fun. Um, you mentioned Krista Gerlich. I, I, we don't talk enough about the women's side of things on this show, so I've never tried to be that overtly critical because if we're not going to be there for the good – for the bad times, we certainly shouldn't be harping on them too much. But the reality is, is that it's unacceptable that the most successful thing to happen in that program under Gerlich was like a somewhat surprising run in the NIT, which the level of competition in women's basketball NIT is drastically different from the men's side in terms of level of competition. Just because, I mean, the sport's growing, they're getting better, but top to bottom, the women's game just does not have the depth of the men's yet. It takes time to build that up. And they're getting there very slowly, more and more... Every year, there's more and more teams that are competitive. But, you know, for the Red Raiders, the only successful thing to have, considering the, the, the individual talent that's passed through the doors under Gerlich, and the best we can say is, like, man, it was kind of neat. They almost made it to the championship at the NIT. It's, it's weak. And this year, they have been, it's been a massive letdown. Look, when you beat 11, I, it's one of the reasons we weren't jumping the bandwagon when they were 11-0 over who gives a shit tech and state because the second they played real competition, they'd be getting blown out left and right. Um, it's just unfortunate. They, they're just not a good basketball team. I mean, that's reality. They desperately need a big win. They will not be making the March Madness on the women's side without a win in the Big 12 tournament. Um, I, I, it's hard not to be too upset about this. It's hard to be um, like too measured about this. They just aren't good. And when the fans have showed up, they, and I, I watched this game. Fans were in the stands to watch Tech take on Texas in the last home game against the Longhorns, most likely in basketball on the women's side. It was a Seven, ten thousand people crowd, fantastic showing, and the, the game was fucking over at halftime. I mean, that, that can't happen. So my last thought I would like to leave is one of our most historic programs, the program with a national title first. I'm sorry, but it's time to move on. It's time to move on. I, I just we're, we're not going to get better if great players come in the door and we lose anyways. I don't care how she recruits because when she's had top talent, they still sucked. So, you know, like I, I just – Hate it for the ladies. I want them to be better, as good as anybody, but it's just it's time to move on from the I think we were talking about this in the Slack chat. I think our buddy Jack said it best. This is the Cliff Kingsbury hire. It's a person who's like you think might get there, is very likable, loves Texas Tech, is a big part of the community, a great person, but the results just aren't there, and we pay her a lot of money. So it's time to move on. Um and and go find the next start for that program. I'm just I hope they get a couple of wins. They have a great finish of the year. Hell, maybe they'll have a spark. Maybe they'll beat Texas and go and win the Big 12 tournament and then have a, have a hell of a showing in the March Madness and this will all be moot. Uh, and we'll all look silly even discussing it. But, yeah, I mean, we, we just we need to be winning across the board if we're going to be paying six figures to any coach. So it's not happening on the women's side. But like you said, we've got a lot of winning to celebrate. Mahomes, Ludwig, Mac McClung having another great night in the dunk contest. And baseball, starting the year off strong. It's going to be a fun run into baseball season. Um, they're just getting going. Texas Southern this weekend. Like I said, look out for more content from us on that front. Softball's getting rolling as well. They've started pretty strong. Hopefully both those teams in the College World Series. I like the World Series. Uh, I like the baseball postseason a lot, too. I love the format of it. Really stretches teams out. 
So be looking for more content on those fronts. As always, guys, like, subscribe, whatever it is on whatever major podcasting platform. Feel free to shoot us notes, leave us comments, criticism, whatever you want to say. You don't like what we said? Tell us. It's fine. We'd love to talk to you. Or just let us know what you want us to talk about. Um, you, you got something, an accomplishment or something that maybe one of the more niche events that goes on around the campus? Let us know. We're happy to hear about it and give you a shout out. So enjoy the rest of your week. Enjoy this weekend of baseball and basketball, both in full swing and wreck them.